Support for Paradox comes from the Timothy Center, a place for adolescent and family healing. The Timothy Center is a marriage and family counseling facility in Austin, Texas, offering distance consultations for those that live outside the Austin area. If your family is struggling and you'd like to consult with Jimmy, Josh, or one of their trained professionals, visit them at timothycenter.com. We program discipleship, we program evangelism, we program all these different things, and we're hoping for a certain result. And over the last handful of years, the one thing I've noticed is that when we are kind of pressing into the different areas of faith that we can work on, that the actual, the result is the natural fruit of pursuing the kingdom. Recording live from Austin, Texas, a conversation about marriage and family that guys won't want to turn off, Dr. Jimmy Myers and Dr. Josh Myers are a paradox. Guys, welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Josh. I'm Jimmy. Yo, yo, yo. That's a shame. And uh, we are we are so excited to have Brandon Hatmaker today. Brandon, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you guys for having me on. Absolutely. Brandon is author. He's a speaker, a biker, human, humanitarian. He's co-founder and managing partner of the Legacy Collective. He also is a co-star of the HGTV, My Big Family Renovation. His latest book is A Mile Wide. Uh, yeah, Brandon, we're so uh, pumped that you're with us today. Two burning questions that I wanted to ask you. The first one is, um, and I'm sure you get it all the time, but which exact relative made hats? Uh, that's an interesting story. We do hear it all actually, the time. Hold but, on. Uh, you actually know? You have an answer for that? <laughs> I have an un, I have an unanswer to that because our oh. from what I understand actually our lineage to make it hat maker is a bad translation from hmm. a Norwegian name that meant shipbuilder. And so yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's a little bit different but somewhere back in the day I I guess we were we were uh had pretty good woodworkers enough to uh well brandon's shipmaker does not have the the same ring to it no no i don't know especially when you're married to jen hatmaker you got to stick with that <laughs> not the truth. And, and one other one uh before before i let you go tell me that you sued those fixer-upper people for stealing your show concept <laughs> oh yeah that's funny that's funny oh man chip and joe are good friends they're great people he actually they actually sat in my seat in the Texas Baylor game when I couldn't go. And so uh, they're good people. Yeah, we sued the pants off of them. All right. That's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> that's what we wanted to they hear. They just worm their way into your life. That show's not going to make it. It's, it's, it's terrible. It's just terrible design. Chip doesn't know what he's doing. Those guys are awesome. <laughs> Love them. So Jimmy has to lead every episode with some sort of joke, and traditionally it's awkward, um, but we appreciate you putting up with him. Good. I'm used just, to it, man. If you've been, if you spent one hour in my house, you would see that Jimmy is a rookie. <laughs> uh, describe a mile wide and, and just kind of the reasons for writing the book. Yeah, I think a mile wide is really a book about, um, believe it or not, it's about, I think it's about freedom. And it's uh, a book about really pressing into uh, the kingdom in a way that just results in, uh, I think, a fuller life. I think, um, you know, I've worked in church ministry for over 20 years, and a lot of that time I worked in spiritual development in, in, in really big churches. And we spent so much time trying to program uh, growth 
you know, you have a program or you have a, not that it's bad, it's a good foundation, a starting point, but we program discipleship, we program evangelism, we program all these different things, and we're hoping for a certain result. And over the last handful of years, the one thing I've noticed is that when we are kind of pressing into the different areas of faith that we can work on, that the actual, the result is a natural fruit of pursuing the kingdom. And so I, I kind of just took away uh, eight really key areas of faith that I think we kind of have a myopic view on that I personally had a very myopic view on and just kind of dug into them. I didn't, I'm not disassembling or deconstructing what most of us already believe or have grown up living. What I'm trying to do is help us see how that is just the beginning and how we can build on those to experience really more. Because I think a lot of believers are are, are not experiencing you know, the the kingdom, they're not experiencing the gospel that they read in the Bible. Sure. And so my hope is that people would kind of, we could, not really a paradigm shift, but help kind of uncover some things that really connect evangelism and connect discipleship and connect mission and it connects community and it connects justice, where it's this holistic idea of a new way of living. And a lot of people are fearful, though. They're fearful that if you dig in, it's going to it's going to be harder and it's going to be more difficult. And it's going to be more, less fun and all that stuff. And what we really find out is it's, it's even better. We're recording the second week of September. I think this is going to, this episode will drop in, in about a month, the middle of October, but we just, uh, we just released our interview with Erwin McManus this week. And he kind of spoke to the fact that churches are really good at um, giving Christians what they already kind of know and believe and want to hear. Um, how much has the church contributed um, to this issue of kind of being a, a mile wide um, and an inch deep? And um, how much is of an individual's responsibility? Kind of speak to that for a second. Yeah, I think, you know, if you look at the church historically from the very beginning, it's always kind of been the, the, the way we do church, the form in which we do church has always kind of been a response to culture. We always try and speak the language of culture. And I think that's okay. I think we're supposed to. That's what missionaries do, right? Um, and, and so, you know, and, and, and I think the thing is, is the, the, the method changes, but the, the gospel doesn't. Right. So it's the same message throughout. It's just a method in which we do it. And so what that means is, is you've always got man in charge of figuring out how we're going to capture this and do this. And so I do think I think it's a combination. I think it's a combination of church leadership and we're trying to create these structures. And sometimes it's, you know, you hate to say it. But it's true. Sometimes we have to create structures just to survive, just to keep the lights on and the building sure. paid for and our staff. Now we're enjoying the fruit of those ministries. And, you know, you go to a bigger church and you're able to experience some of the best children's ministries and programs and things. And, and those can really serve a community. And so, um, but, you know, just as it creates a, a bunch of advantages, then sometimes it can create some disadvantages. I think about my 12 years as a youth pastor I really, I kind of, man, I, I, I led some of the most entertaining, fun youth ministries you could, you, you know, you could think of. And to an extent, sometimes I go, man, did I, did I create a generation of consumers? Did I create, you know, I'm going to come if you give me what I want. Sure. Then I see a lot of those students as adults really living for the gospel. Yeah. And so I don't think we are a victim of our, of our form I just think we need to look at what we're doing and see it for what it is and make sure we don't allow that to prioritize the form of church over being Christ-centered or people sure. or the gospel. 
And so I think we're all human. We're all sinners. And so we're all going to struggle and any form we're going to make is going to fall short. Um, But we just keep trying, right? Now, what is the, the Legacy Collective and how can people get involved? Oh, man, thank you for asking. Legacy Collective is, is a 10-year dream of mine and Jen's. You know, we, over the years, has, you know, our, our, our main prayer, and I know this is especially Jen. Jen is so weird. She, she has so much influence, and she's never really tried to increase her platform. She's just tried to be faithful. And I, her prayer, my prayer, has always been, God, help us to just, we just want to steward whatever influence you give us. And we're not trying to, you know, um, grow it, you know, out, you know, for the wrong reasons or anything like that. We just really wanted to steward what influence we have. And so, you know, we're always thinking about how we can help nonprofits. And we've, in the last 10 years of our lives, we've just been invested in trying to figure out how, um, how to get people more involved from a discipleship standpoint, from a pastor standpoint, because I know it's going to change who they are. And then the church rises and justice is done. And, and so we're, we're, but we found ourselves constantly asking for people to support different things. And as soon as we finished one thing, we moved on to something else. And then we moved on to something else. We moved on to something else. And we just began to dream about it. What if we were able to just kind of capture our tribe, kind of capture our people. And instead of, focusing only on the thing, let's focus on the community and what we can do through community. And so we actually had this idea. And once we partnered with Pure Charity, my crush over at Pure Charity developed these things called giving circles in which they kind of manage a donor advice fund. And so we set up this donor advised fund. Um, and we just, we, we, we were going to do it for about a year. And finally we just said, you know what, let's just give it a shot. Let's just see if it works and we launched it out and said, Hey, we want to get everybody together and say, if we just give a little bit each month and then each month we decide what we give it to and how much we give. And the main focus on legacy collective is we are giving to sustainable solutions to systemic issues. And so it's not a recovery thing. We're trying to help break some cycles, right? So we put that out there. And in two weeks we had over 1200 investors. Wow, um, and we're like, wow, there is a there's a need for this, and so now we're just focused on building the community and the connectivity of all the people who are a part of it, and we're just, and we're just being, we're giving away hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, each time we give out grants, and and just been able to partner with some amazing things from Ethiopia to Haiti to Greece to for refugee work to domestic work with sustainable solutions for the homeless to all kinds of stuff, and so it's just been you know an amazing journey for us, and. So there's no staff. I don't get paid. Um, all we do, it's a group of people that give a little bit of money each month, some just $10. And then we vote on every month where it goes. And it's just been a blast. And you can sign up and become a donor there at LegacyCollective.org? Yeah, that's exactly right. There's a join page, and it just walks through. There's ten different. There's three different levels to be involved, partner, investor, uh, and member. And it, it shows on LegacyCollective.org where how you can get involved and how much goes where. And cause some of them goes to grants. Some of them goes to um, um, scholarships and different things, how we give money away. And so choose the one that fits you, click it, sign it up and, and away you go. So there are some books out there, toxic charity, when helping hurts, both of those kind of come to mind as far as the, the, the negative side of, of charity and the dependency that that can create. Uh, but you guys with your sustainable solution for systemic issues, why was it so important to actually contribute to sustainable uh, change? Yeah. Well, I think you answered, you answered it in your question. I think a lot of us, we've learned a lot how to, 
how to give better over the last few years out of failing and not doing things well. And so um, obviously sustainability means you're not that, that program or that thing is not contingent upon you raising money for it every month. And that's one of the things we were committed to. We're not going to commit a million dollars over the next five years to something. We're going to say, Oh, we have a hundred grand. Let's give that away now. Right. And so in order to do that, you have to, you know, find something that's sustainable. And if it's sustainable, it's reproducible. Like the program we're working with in Ethiopia, it's an empowerment program in which we have identified some of the most vulnerable families in this community in Ethiopia, where most of the orphan poverty orphans are coming out of, and, and a lot of human trafficking is coming out of. And so it's a program that works with indigenous leaders, does training on the ground there. Um, it funds the startup, launches them in, and then within weeks, these women are completely sustainable, taking care of their family, their extended family, their kids are going back to school. And it's a one-time thing that once it's just a little bit on the front end, it, it, it's, it's reproducible and it, it, it doesn't rely on continuous funding. And so I think, uh, I think listening to local leaders, empowering local leaders, instead of just coming in and throwing money and solving things ourselves, I think that's an important thing to do. And we've got to really look at breaking cycles and not just, you know, recovery. And you think this is sort of the, the new generation of, um, of missions in the church that it's not just about going to Haiti and building a building. Uh, it's about longer-term uh, help so that you have, like you say, paradigm shifts. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, I, I've been, I've taken youth on trips, and we've put in 30, the 30th layer of paint on an orphanage, you know, that it didn't even need painted so many times. You know, we do all of our efforts. I think about it as adoptive, as an adoptive dad, we really, we truly felt called to adopt out of Ethiopia. We fell in love with Ethiopia. We've done a lot of work in Ethiopia. We fell in love with the culture and the children. And we just were, I think that's how God got us moving in, in this direction more than anything. But when you look at the orphan crisis in the world, you know, hundreds of millions orphans in the world, less than 1% of them will be adopted. So that tells you that's not the solution. It may be the solution for that one or the, that one percent, but we yeah. have to find we have to find solutions at the systemic at the at the core level, and uh, so that's that's kind of what we're wanting to do. We also we're really curious about. There's a lot of really good ideas out there, but people can't get funded, and so mm-hmm. we are trying to find new ideas and new ways, new things that if someone says, "Man, if I just had." $25,000 grant, $40,000 grant. We really think this would work. And we go, hey, let's let's jump in on this. Let's be a part of some, some new solutions. So we've got a lot of freedom as a donor advised, yeah. you know, fund to be able to do that. Absolutely. We um, we spoke a few weeks ago uh, with a good friend, Todd Phillips, uh, who runs The Last Well. And, uh, you know, hearing what they're doing in Liberia, it's uh, we're just in a, a new era you know, it used to be for Christians, if you wanted to help, you just put another $5 in the envelope when it came by during missions offering. And it's just the, the opportunity for believers to get involved hands-on uh, is just exploding today. Yeah. Well, I'm excited about the fact that people are like, well, do we need to go through Legacy Collective for everything? I'm like, no, once you get connected with one of our partners and they're doing great work on the ground, go directly to them. We don't do mission trips. We don't do whatever. Connect with them. And all of a sudden, we've got doctors in Haiti. We've got, we've got nurses in Greece and, and uh, in Iraq. And, you know, but we're working with so many great people that know what they're doing. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. We just need to empower them and help them. I want to take us back all the way to 2011 uh, when uh, your book, The Barefoot Church, was published. 
Um, you know, this kind of came at a time uh, around, you know, David Platt's radical, um, you know, and <clears throat> where, where it's really a challenge to the church to be the church. Tell us a little bit about uh, the Barefoot Church. Okay. Well, you know, Barefoot Church is kind of an interesting story, too, because it almost didn't happen. Um, we, we just went through this journey, and Barefoot Church really is just kind of our story of kind of trying to re- beginning to rethink church. And not because we felt like there was something super wrong with it necessarily, except for God just said, man, you're so busy on your church campus that you, you, you know, hardly know any people that don't know me. You're so busy on your church campus serving the, the rich that you don't serve, you know, the poor. And you're so busy on your church campus, you don't really even know your neighbor. And so I started really asking the question, God, well, what do you want? After repenting and going, oh, that's bad. I'm a pastor. <laughs> um, really repenting of that and asking God what he wants us to do. He told us to serve the poor. And I was really confused by that. I was like, okay, so it's not going to be a church. You want to go start a nonprofit? And he just said, I just want you to serve the poor. And so he took us on a journey of figuring out what that began to look like. And before we knew it, all of a sudden a church had emerged. And I think what happened is that we started to really plant the seeds of the gospel and the church came out of that. I think a lot of people try to do that backwards to try and plant a church, hoping the gospel will show up. And we were just learning a new way to do church. And so we wrote the, I wrote the book and, and I didn't have a contract. I didn't have a deal. I didn't care because I just felt like I need to write this down because I'm getting to share our story and I don't have anything to give people. I could talk to someone for an hour and there's just, there's not enough information, not enough time I need to give. So I wrote this and a friend of mine, who's an author, I told another one, a, a publisher said, Hey, you need to look at this book. We do it. And, and everybody told me it, this is too small of a niche. No one wants to read this book. Um, it, you know, it's too small of a niche. And then 10 months later, Radical came out. And two weeks later, I got a call from a couple publishers saying, you still have that book? (laughs) And and so then we ended up actually putting it out there. (laughs) That's funny. Well, I tell you what, we're so pleased that you were with us today. And the next time we visit with you, you and I, we need to talk tats. Because I am pretty much inked out. Uh, I can hear the sarcasm in your voice. Yeah, what? no. He has one tattoo, and it's the tackiest thing you'd ever see. And he actually did not tell my mother, his wife, uh, before he did it, and so she didn't talk to him for oh, like no, two she weeks. She would have never let me done it. But oh, that's hilarious. I, a certain person that's you know young enough to be my son was supposed to go with me, and uh, he. Oh chickened really? Out. Chicken yeah. out. Yeah, oh, yeah. I just you, couldn't. You can't depend on people these days. <laughs> I just couldn't. Hey, you gotta, uh, be, you gotta be careful. You gotta be careful about those first tats. I've got a friend who who went to go get a tattoo, and he was scared. You know, his mom would see it or whatever. So on his hip, where it was kind of under his belt line, he he was he wanted to get Philippians four thirteen, and he started to get the he started to get Philippians four thirteen tattoo, not the actual the reference, not the whole verse. And it, he started, and he's like, "Man, it hurts so bad." I shortened it to to the P P H I L four thirteen. Phil, and Phil. so he was he was. Yeah, so he was tubing the tubing the San Marcos River one time, and he was he was jumping up in his tube, and some girls are going by, and they looked at him. His shorts came down just a little bit, and they saw the four, Phil four thirteen. They're like, "Hey, who's Phil? And why do you have a tattoo of him on your on your rear end?" <laughs> oh, that's too good. That, is that dude, that is a true story. It is like it's four thirteen, like your anniversary. Or that's sort of the that's sort of how <laughs> I feel. I, I got a, a tramp stamp of a, a giant scorpion with the Bible in one pincher. <laughs> And the cross on the other. 
And there have been times I've regretted it. Uh, you, know, you know what? One thing I'm thankful about is I don't have a tattoo that I regret. I love every one of them. That Each one of them represent a season in my life. And see, uh, I can go back. I can look. I can remember exactly where I was, what was going on in my life, what I was thinking about, what it represents. And so it's really my story. See, that's the thing. I can't figure out something to have on my body for the rest of my life. I have too much anxiety for that. Well, you want to erase it. Yeah, you better you better want it because it doesn't feel good. Every time I get one, I sit down and go, "Man, how did I do this?" Last oh, I know it. I'm sitting there about to. I'm all but crying, and there are these uh, these girls that are just laughing and cut. I'm well, and I felt like such a wuss. I uh, sat down one time. My I sat down for an eight hour session once. Oh my lord! And at, right before eight hours. My body just shut down. It was like endorphins were flying all over the place. And I just felt like I had restless leg syndrome all over my entire body. And I was like, bro, I don't care where you're at. We're done. And so that was as, that was as tough as it got. But that's a long time. <laughs> yeah. And don't let uh, Jimmy fool you. His his tattoo is the tiniest thing. You'll, you can I need a uh, ginormous <laughs> microscope to be able it's to an see an entire it. back tattoo. Right? Yeah, exactly. I was in that chair a good 15 minutes. Hey, and uh, every yep. we're going to put show notes uh, like we do for every show. And we're going to put a picture of Jimbo's tattoo uh, for this. Episode. Okay, you should. Definitely, please do that. Uh, Guys, if you want good words from Brandon, if you want more information about Brandon as well as his book, it actually is releasing today, September 13th, so go grab it. I'm sure they can pick it up at Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, all that good stuff, right? Yeah, I think it's in most of the bookstores and online, pretty much much all the retailers. So grab more information about Brandon at brandonhatmaker.com. If you want more information about the Legacy Collective, it is legacycollective.org. You can also find Brandon at Twitter and Instagram. It's Brandon Hatmaker. Facebook is brandon.hatmaker.12. Brandon, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Tell you what, what a great guy. Great guy. What a great guy. And we've, we've spoken with numerous people over, you know, the years that we've been doing this. <laughs> and, you know, so many of them just did not settle for, I'm going to just do this because this is the way it's always been done. Sure. And it's like, gosh, who do you want to interview and, you know, kind of let the world hear from? Not the people who just do the normal. Yeah. But those people that say, you know, it's kind of those people that look at the world and instead of asking why, they ask why not. Uh, and they go do something about it. And he was one of those guys. Yeah, his ministry uh, it appears to be this uh, great representation of the sanctification process where he's just trying to serve Christ, live for him and his glory better. You know, he started out in ministry, whether it's youth ministry and then pastoring. And then, you know, he wrote down this book, but didn't necessarily plan. He he started then the kind of, well, we need to do church a little bit differently. And then we started the barefoot um uh, barefoot church. And then it's, well, I'm kind of thinking we need to do missions differently. So he's going in that direction. He just seems to be following the Lord's call on his life, wherever it might take him. And that's something that I, I think a lot of people uh, struggle to really do. Yeah. Um, I loved his, his sustainability. Um, sure. um, missions are being done different today. Yep. Uh, uh, and people piece. like even Tony Campolo, which we're going to be speaking to in a couple of weeks. Um, you know, who was sort of doing Haiti before Haiti was cool. He even admits, you know, we, we really did a disservice to the Haitians. Uh, we made them dependent upon, you know, Americans. 
to build and to clean and to, you know, to take care of them, basically. And, you know, all these churches with the best of intentions uh, really, you know, develop this enabled group of people. And it's just being done differently today, and it's really kind of exciting. So if it has been on your head and in your heart um, regarding the church and just the, the plight of Christianity as far as us being kind of a mile wide and an inch deep, uh, pick up his book, uh, A Mile Wide. I think it'd be a really, really good read for anyone, but specifically you guys, that that's been on your heart. Um, and obviously we'll have links in our show notes. You can find those at paradoxpodcast.com. Also sign up for our email listserv. You can expect one to two emails a week regarding new episodes as well as just other content. You can find the show at Twitter. And different tats that I may be getting <laughs> yeah, in the future. I promise we will have yeah. an episode, paradoxpodcast.com. Yeah. We will have a photo mm-hmm. of Jimbo's tiny tattoo. <laughs> um, you can find the show at Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's Doc's Podcast. You can find me on those three platforms at Doc Josh Myers. Uh, on Facebook, I'm Dr. Jimmy Myers. And on uh, Twitter and Instagram at J Myers fam. Guys, have a good day. Paradox is produced by Billy Lee Myers Jr. and researched by Dr. Jimmy and Dr. Josh Myers. Special thanks to Life Austin Church in Austin, Texas, and our Paradox evangelist, Julie Lyles Gar. To find out more about the Paradox and to sign up for email updates, go to our website, paradoxpodcast.com. Next time on Paradox. I am simply a very um, good driver, and if you're really good, who needs a speed limit? See, that's, that's what I always drivers. yeah, that's what I always think. Yeah, we're excellent drivers. Yeah, if we can go that quickly yes, and still remain not, safe. Yeah, the police do not appreciate yeah. that fact.